Again, I just want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13. And we're going to read 14 through 19. Okay, this is dealing with the man Elisha, the prophet Elisha, who was prophet in the stead of Elijah when the Lord had taken Elijah up in a, in a fiery chariot to be with them. And Elisha was the man that the Lord had chosen to take up as the prophet of Israel after that. So if you would read 1 Kings, thir- I mean, sorry, 2 Kings 13, 14 through 19. Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took him, took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And, and he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. He, he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then shalt thou have smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite the Syrians but thrice. Now that's kind of a strange story. You know, God doesn't have to repeat things and do them exactly the same every time. When it comes to like repentance or salvation, we know there's a consistent gospel message there that the Lord's chosen. He's not changing His character or nature ever or His dealings with men or sinful men or His power to save. But in His dealings in specific moments in, in life, He can do whatever He wants to do. He parted the Red Sea. He parted the Jordan River. We don't read that He did it multiple times every time they had to cross back and forth. You know what I mean? Uh, and this is something that's an unusual story. But I want to talk to us today about, about something. To me, the, the key verse is, is verse 17. Let's read it again. He said to the king, now Elijah's about to die, okay? He, Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire to be with the Lord. Now Elisha is the prophet, and the Lord had used him in a mighty way, a great anointing upon his life, and did many, many miracles and so forth. And he's saying to the king of Israel, Open the window, you know, and open it, and he shoot the arrow, and he shot it. And he said, this is very clear, Elisha said to the king, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of the Lord's deliverance from Syria. So he was very specific, telling him, this is what's going on here, king. You know, these arrows in your hand, they symbolize something. They're greater. And I want to talk to us today for a moment. Our God is, is a big God, and we need to believe Him for big things. And it says that Elisha was wroth with the king. Did you see that? He's about to die. And and the Syrians had been a thorn in their side for years. And he said, shoot the arrow. And he shot the arrow. Then he said, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the Lord's deliverance from Syria. Now smite the arrows on the ground. So he takes a handful of arrows. The king does. and, And Elisha's watching him. He smote the arrow three times. The arrow's three times on the ground. Looks like no big deal. But it says that Elisha was wroth. The man of God was wroth with him. That means like severely angry because he says you should have smitten more than that. You should have taken those arrows and hit them five or six times. And then you, could, you would have smitten the Syrians till you had consumed them. Consumed them. Now you're going to have some victories over them. You're going to have two or three victories over them. But you're not going to have this complete victory that God wanted to give you. And we need to believe our God for big things. He's mighty. And we need to believe God for mighty things. The Bible says in the New Testament, Ephesians, you don't have to turn there, you know the scripture, Ephesians 2, I mean, sorry, 3 20 and 21, that now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, we're without end. Amen. 
That's what the Scriptures say. When it says exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, it's almost hard to think of any descriptive term that would be bigger than that. It's, he's able to do exceedingly, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think comes to our minds. Every word is like, just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It, you know, God, you're really... I can't even think of what you can do because you just said you're able to do more than I can think or even comes to our minds. The point is that He's a big God. He's a mighty God. He wants His people to believe Him for big things and mighty things. And this king, it's not saying that he necessarily sinned, but, but in a way you could, you could say he sinned by not stepping out in belief and trusting what God wanted to do. He believed Him, but didn't believe Him all the way for what He wanted to do. And I think often, y'all, I'm going to relate this to our lives, we often, uh, too often, believe God and ask God for too little. And maybe we think that, that we're being humble. Maybe we think we don't want to appear selfish, so I don't want to ask God for some really big thing. Or I bother, maybe I'm bothering God. And so we could rope it in that. And I don't want to appear selfish in my prayers so and asking for too big a thing. So I'll just ask for this little thing. And maybe we think that that's more, uh, like I said, humble or selfless in our prayers. And I will say this, I believe when we pray and we ask God, we do need to examine our hearts. Amen? It's very clear. We do need to examine our hearts. Or am I being selfish? God, is this what you want for me? Or is this just what I want? You know, is this your desire for my life? Or am I, am I truly being selfish in my prayers? How many know we can be selfish in our prayers? Amen? But I think having said that, we do need to examine our hearts and motives when we pray to make sure that we're not being self-centered, but we're being God-centered in our prayers. Having said that, I do think that far too many times we, we simply are lacking in the faith and in the spiritual, I guess you would say, vision of what God wants to do. We're asking Him for too little when He's wanting. He's like sitting there wanting to do something big and we're asking Him for this right here. Again, we do need to search our hearts, not be selfish in our prayer, but we do need to believe God to be a big God, the mighty God that He is, and we're lacking sometimes. And I'll be the first in line to say that uh, that this would be me as well many times in my life. I fail to ask God because I'm for big things because I'm lacking in the vision of what God wants to do. Or maybe I'm lacking in the faith what, what God can do or can do in this day or can do through my life or in my circumstance or my situation. We don't have God's mind on the matter, I believe. That simply comes down to that. With Elisha wasn't confused. It's like he's about to die. He had walked with the Lord. He's walking closely with the Lord. He's a prophet of God. And the, the, the king comes to visit him on his deathbed, basically. And he's got one last word for the king. He wasn't saying, oh, let me think if I can think of a, a comf comfortable little prayer to give the king. Some little kingly blessing. He was speaking on behalf of the Lord. God had showed him what to pray and what to speak to the king. And, and there's such a difference when, uh, when we know his will. We know His heart. We know God's mind on the matter. And we, we, I don't think we do know the Lord's will and mind and heart on the matter, say in our day, like we could or like we should. I think He's expecting His people to walk closely to Him and to know His heartbeat. And to know what He's doing on the, in the earth on this day and what He's about to do. Okay, So we're going to talk about this this morning. I think as a result of not having that vision or that heart of God, because it's going to come from a lack of relationship with God or intimacy with the Lord. As a result of that, I think we think too small. I'm talking about as Christians and about our God, and about our lives and our future and ministry and our country and what God's wanting to do in the earth and so forth. We think too small. We love too small. We ask too small. We believe too small. And our God is a great God above all the earth. His goodness, His His. His thoughts towards us, His righteous judgments, His compassion, His infinite wisdom is perfect and it's beyond compare. He is really able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That, that Scripture is given to us. Examples in the Bible are given to us. He spoke the world into existence in six literal days. 
you know, and it was perfected. It wasn't, you know, all these, you know, three-legged horses or something like that with one eyeball on the side of their head, like an evolutionist would say. When he finished it, he says it's good. Behold, it was very good. And that's how he finished it. And I just want to give you a scripture. Who is like unto thee? Moses says in Exodus 15.11, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. He's just like, you see this from the people of God that really know the Lord. It's like they'll put down their whatever they're doing for a second and they'll just drop it all and they'll just, wow. They'll just look at the Lord and be amazed at the Lord. Who's like unto you, Lord? You know, it's not the fact that, you know, what I read was from Exodus and, you know, parting the Red Sea and destroying armies of Egypt that were chasing him and so forth. All these miracles that he did, but, but the man of God or the people of God just drop it all and they're just looking at the Lord. Saying, wow, who's like you, Lord? There's just nobody like you, Lord. It doesn't matter if it's parting the Red Sea or splitting a mountain in half so we can walk through. Whatever has to be done, it's proof that he can do it. And He wants us to know that. And he wants us to trust Him. There was uh, a story, an account in the Bible with Elisha. And I'm just going to share it in, in the widow woman. Uh, she, he comes to, the, comes to this widow woman earlier in his life, Elisha does. And the woman says that the creditors, I don't have any money. My husband's dead. The creditors are coming to take my two sons away and going to, you know, basically put them into to slavery or a bond servant to pay for my debt. I can take, so she's already lost everything. She's lost her husband. She didn't have any money. The creditors are coming to take her sons away. This is a desperate situation. And we look at something huge like part in the Red Sea. God cares about that and the whole nation. He cares about this one widow woman too. As small as it is, for her, that was bigger than the Red Sea, right? That was huge. And she trusts the Lord and she knew God was, was using this man, Elisha. And Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. Now think back to the king. How many times did he smite the Arab? The, the king said, this is the heir of the Lord's deliverance. Whack, whack. He hits it a couple of times. He's done. The man of God was, was angry with him. Here Elisha says to the woman, Go borrow empty vessels from your neighbors. Not a few. She goes and she sends her sons out. And they go to everyone they knew. They brought the vessels. And he says, now take that. All she had left was one little vessel of oil. Okay? Take that vessel and pour it into the empty vessels that you borrow. They closed the room, the doors. Her and her sons were in the house. You can just picture all these vases of different size piled up on the floor in the house. She takes her little vessel of oil. She starts to pour it. Somehow or another, it fills up all these other vessels. And it says, and the oil stayed. It, it didn't run out. And then she says to her sons, go borrow some more. And, and they said, one of the sons says, that's all. We, we went go on everywhere. To me, that's an act of faith. The man of God said to her, go borrow vessels, not a few. And she got it all, got all the vessels. Then she double-checked to make sure, you know, get some more. And he said, no, we've, we've gotten them all. And uh, bring me yet a vessel. And the son replied, there's not a vessel more. And so this, this was just an example. God, he, he says, take what you need. I mean, take all that and sell it and use that money to live off of. Obviously, it was very valuable. Okay? She didn't lose her sons. She didn't lose uh, anything. She was blessed. She was gained. She was ministered to by the Lord. But you see how it, he, the man of God said, don't borrow just a few vessels. Well, we could say, well, I just, I'm not worthy. And I understand we're not worthy. That's why we have to make sure we're not being selfish in our prayers. There is a, there is a right... I wouldn't call it a balance. There's a right place to be there. Because we could be selfish in our prayers. We have been. I have been. But this time was the Lord's deliverance for the woman. And she asked, and God sent her answer. And, he, and the man of God said, don't borrow just a few. She could say, well, I just, I'm gonna just, I just don't want to bother all my neighbors. I don't want to seem presumptuous. And God, other people need that oil more than I do. And we could go on and on with all that stuff. She did what she was told. And God did what only He could do. And filled up a room probably filled with vessels. 
And so um, God longs to show Himself mighty. And I think sometimes we make Him really small and we present Him or project Him to those around us as being a lot smaller than He is. He longs to show Himself mighty, to show Himself faithful uh, to those that put their trust in Him. And we don't have to twist His arm to try to get Him to do something. He's not going to do it if it's not His will anyway. We need to know what His will is. But once we know what His will is, then we need to pray and believe Him for big things. We don't have to twist His arm. Please, 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 God, do this for me. And He's like, okay, I'll do it. When He really doesn't want to. That's not how God is. We walk in a relationship with Him. We hear His voice. We know what He wants. We pray and we live in accordance to that. Separated unto God. And we live trusting the Lord. The Bible says that as the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself what? Strong in the behalf of them whose, whose heart is perfect towards Him. Well, we know our heart is only perfect towards God when we're yielded to Him. When the Lord is living in our hearts. When we're saved. And He gives us a new heart. I understand that. But the Bible says His eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself mighty on behalf of us whose heart is perfect towards Him. He wants to show Himself strong. That verse is uh, 2 Corinthians 16.9 if you're looking for that. Um, the Bible says that Israel, the children of Israel, when they came out of slavery and crossed the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians were drowned in the sea, that they actually limited God. The Bible uses that word limited. It's kind of unusual. I'm just going to read it. If you're taking notes, Psalm 78, 41, and 42. Yea, this is a long account of Israel's you know, dealings, God's dealing with Israel in the wilderness. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not His hand nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. And they actually limited God in this sense. God wasn't any less God than He was before. So He didn't limit God and make Him something He wasn't. But in their minds, in their hearts, and through their lives, they limited Him. Because they didn't believe Him to be the God that He was. Even though He had proved Himself faithful. He was no less God, but at this point, you know, they go through this trouble and God delivers them. They need food. He sends manna. They need water. He sends water from a rock. Uh, they need deliverance from their enemies. And He gives them deliverance from their enemies time and time again. And yet they go through the next trial and it's more grievous maybe than the one before. And they don't trust Him in that one. That's what it's talking about. It's a, it's a, a question of faith. And so they failed to believe God even though He had proved Himself and proven Himself faithful Time and time again. Moses wasn't that way. Joshua and Caleb weren't that way. In fact, Caleb, 40 years after the wandering in the wilderness, and he's 80 years old, and they're in the promised land, and Caleb and Joshua were with two spies that believed the Lord, right? When they went to the promised land. Now they're in the promised land years later, and Caleb says, I'm 80 years old, Joshua. And you remember that promise that, that God made to you and me? the man Moses made. And, uh, and we believed God. And I'm here and I believe God. And he says, I want my inheritance now. And I want this. And he says, I'm strong enough to take it. And he went and he, took a, and he drove the giants out of some particular land and took it. 80-year-old man driving giants off, okay? Because he's trusting God to do it. He says, I, I brought word again as was in my heart when he brought the, the, the report back. And so he's trusting God. Israel as a whole, they limited God. He's still God, but in their lives and through their lives and, and what the miracles they were going to see and be part of and, and the peace that they were going to have and the trust that they were going to have and the relationship with God that they would have had or could have had. They limited God on all that. And yet he's still this big mighty God. He didn't shrink. Okay, He was no less God. Don't you think that we can do that sometimes? that we limit God and we take Him from being this almighty God that He is. And maybe we have very good reasons for it. Like I said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Well, none of us is worthy. 
Walk uprightly before the Lord by the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to all walk uprightly before God and understand that. But he, he wants to show Himself mighty. It doesn't honor God when we fail to believe Him. That doesn't honor God when we make Him really small. Uh, when we fail to trust Him, especially with things He's already told us that He intends to do or wants to do. He wants to show Himself mighty. Uh, when he, he says, I'm going to read this from Matthew 9. It's the Lord Jesus is dealing with some blind men. When He was coming to the house, the blind men came to Him and said unto Him, "Believe." He said unto them, Believe ye that I'm able to do this. It was a question. So there's blind men wanting to be healed. He came into the house. Now He's there. Then He asked them point blank, Do you believe I'm able to do this? They said unto Him, Yes, Lord. Then He touched their eyes saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open. He could have healed them any which way He wanted. He could heal a million blind people or one blind person. It doesn't matter. But He's asking them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes. He says, according to your faith, let it be unto you. And He touched them and their eyes were open. There is uh, that teaching of faith in the Bible that we're to trust the Lord and to believe the Lord for these things. I want to talk, switch gears for just a moment uh, and look at Elijah, the one that, the one predecessor to Elisha. Uh, and in John in First Kings 17 1, it says Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, Ahab was the king at that time. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. We all know that story, right? So he's dealing with Ahab, and a sinful king, and a sinful nation at this time of Israel. But there's something very significant when he says, the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. He's standing before a king at that time who was out to get him, looking for him. But he's, he said, uh, the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. What, what is he saying there? He's saying of all the people in Israel, there was a school of prophets. There were other men that didn't bow their knee to Baal. The Bible tells us that. And there were other godly people and other people that went to heaven when they were died. They were justified by faith, like Abraham. But there was something about Elijah's life. He says, I'm standing before the Lord. I don't think that was just at that moment. I think that was a practice of his life. I think you and I can stand before the Lord. We can live in his presence in such a way like that to where when we go to pray, we've heard from God. We're not guessing and hoping and wishing. And I'll be honest with you. There's times in my prayers I've guessed and hoped and wished and assumed and maybe this and throw something up and hope something sticks, right? That the Lord will lay on, hold on it and do it. And I don't, I don't see that with Elijah. I see that he says, I'm standing before the Lord. Yes, there's a king right here, but there's a God right here. It's a lot bigger than you, king. And I've been in his presence. And I've been with him. And he said, uh, he gave me this authority. He gave me this command. He gave me this power. Well, a man can't do that. No, but God can do it. And He can do it through a man. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there's not going to be rain for three and a half years according to My Word. How did He know that? How did He do that? Because He knew, what the, Lord, he knew the Lord. He was in relationship, an intimate fellowship with God. He didn't check in with God and check out. He stood before the Lord continually. And so I think it's the man of God that stands before the Lord continually or the woman of God or the young person of God that's going to believe God for big things. Amen? Because they're going to hear from God. They're going to know what's going on. Everybody else might love the Lord and sing and lift their hands and they're so glad they're saved. And I'm glad I'm saved too. You know what I mean? And do a certain amount for the Lord. But it's the one that's going to be in His presence continually. That doesn't mean you never leave your house. It means you never leave the Lord. You never leave the Lord. You're in His presence continually. And that's how Elijah lived. You know, there's not a whole lot of people that have been used that way. We pick them out. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we 
preach on them. We talk about them. We read books about their lives. And they encourage us. There's a handful of people, you know, or maybe hundreds over, over the time, or thousands even. But even a majority of believers, I don't think, live that way. When it could, we could. It's available to all of us. And so, he knew. He, he lived a life. Elijah did. And so did Elisha. Separated unto God. He wasn't entangled with what was going on in the world. He wasn't entangled with what was going on in Israel and the idolatry. And guess what he knew? Because he wasn't entangled. He knew the Lord. He knew the Lord's heart. He knew what God was about to do. And when it was time, God could speak to him and he says, yes, Lord. You know, and, and he trusted him. He just said, it's crazy, God. I'm not going to reign according to my word. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he knew the Lord. This is nothing for God. And he trusted him to do it. doesn't mean he was perfect. We see times later in his life when he was running from Jezebel and scared and wanted, God, it's enough. Just let me die. And that kind of, he wasn't perfect. God was perfect. But he had this intimate walk with the Lord. And so he knew Jehovah. He knew his heart. He knew his mind. And remember, God's looking for people that he can show himself mighty through. It's going to be the people that are separated unto him, the people that want to know him, the people that he's not going to force it upon anybody. Not even force it upon believers that are saved and Christians and baptized in the Holy Ghost or whatever. He's going to, he's going to, he's there. He's trying to draw us into a more intimate relationship. Now, I know that we're not all Elijah's. I understand that. We're not all Elijah's. But I'll tell you what the Bible says about him in, uh, in James chapter 5. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. So there was nothing. It wasn't like there's all the sons of Adam and then there's Elijah who's different. He was a sinner. Saved by grace. Saved by faith. Okay? Looking for a coming Savior. And so forth. And it says, And he, Elijah, prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. No, we're not all Elijah's, but the Bible's careful to tell us Elijah was a man of like passions like as we are. So don't put him on a pedestal. He, you need to give honor to whom honors do, but don't say God could use him in that way, but not me. God could do miracles through his life, but he could not do that for me because God wants us to know he can do that through anybody he wants to. He can speak through a donkey if he wants to. Okay, he can do whatever he wants to do. And he's going to do it through people that know him and love him. And so I do believe God has put he put Elijah in that time, didn't he? In that day when Ahab was king and Jezebel was a queen and there was Baal worship and God wanted to turn the people back to himself. We'll read about that in just a little bit. But God saved each of us and put us in the time and the era and the place where he wants us to be. And he wants us to believe him for such a time as this. One time we'll really get into and study about the life of Esther and Mordecai, her cousin. And, um, but that was an amazing story. She was put in the kingdom for such a time as that. And then she was made queen. You know, it was in a beauty pageant and everything. She becomes the queen. And who would have thought? Who could do something like that? That, that story about Esther, we ought to study that sometime. It still amazes me. What took place there? And her being put in that place for such a time as that. And then her cousin and her having the faith to believe God. You know what? This is why you're a queen. Not so you can enjoy a luxurious life. God put you here for such a time as this. And they believe God. She would have never imagined that. How could you imagine that? So it's talking exceeding abundantly above all. She couldn't even imagine the problem a day before it happened, right? Every, they were perplexed, the Bible says. This law goes out in a decree that every single Hebrew throughout the whole uh, Persian Empire is going to be executed and all their stuff taken in one day. Could you imagine? Throughout this whole 70 provinces or whatever. And there's a law and it's signed by the king and you can't change the law of the king of the Medes and the Persians. And here it is. She couldn't even imagine the problem. And all of a sudden, God's going to use her to be the solution. 
It's just amazing. But when, when their time came, she asked God for something big. She did it in a, in a unique way she, by petitioning the king. But she asked God for total deliverance for her people. And that the enemies who were after her people, that they would be destroyed. I mean, that's a big... It wasn't just like, let me and my family escape. We're gonna, at night, we're going to sneak over the border into some other country. And I'll get Mordecai and we'll get out of here. She asked God for something big, for total deliverance. And guess what? It's just as easy for God to do the huge thing and deliver a whole nation of people, Israel, as it is for her to slip across the border and sneak out at night. But God didn't want her to sneak out. He wanted her to stand up and be used for, as a tool for the Lord's deliverance. She had to pray for something big. I know it was of the king, but it was at the Lord's bidding. Okay, And... She asked for something big, and God gave her something big. It's going to come to those that are in intimate fellowship with the Lord. I'm relating it to us in our day. I just think there's some really neat scriptures. I want to read a couple here to you real quickly. The Bible says in Amos 3, Surely the Lord God will do nothing but He, but he revealed His secret unto His servants, the prophets. And so what is He saying there? He's saying... God chooses to do this. He chooses to do it this way. He chooses, for example, in the Old Testament to reveal to His prophets and His prophets bring it to the people. Well, I would relate that to us in, in the sense that God chooses to speak to us. He's not going to speak to the lost man about His plans on the earth or for the United States or the UK. He's going to speak to His people some little gray-haired lady that we don't know about in Mississippi that's praying this morning locked up in her prayer room. You understand what I'm saying? That knows God and is shut in with God. And God's speaking to her. Speaking to people. And He's showing His people His heart. So we have the same heartbeat. We're not just messengers sit on an errand. We're, we're identifying with the Lord. He's imparted His heart to us. We weep with those that weep. We rejoice with those that rejoice. And Jesus said in John 15, Henceforth, I, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. He's bringing us into that. He's saying, hey look, I don't just want you to serve me. I do want you to serve me. I don't just want you to serve me. I want you to be my friends. I want us to walk in this relationship to where when you're going to witness into the man on the street that you don't even know or know their name, but I want you to love them like I love them. Or there's a couple that's a Christian couple that's about to get divorced and their, their marriage is just in shambles. I don't want you to just go throw three scriptures on them. I want you to love them. I want you to go to them and pray for them. I want you to care for them like I care for them. It's a relationship. And the service comes out of that. There's another Scripture uh, in the Old Testament. Haggai 1.4 Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Well, the prophet Haggai knew that's not what God wanted. But the people of Israel thinking all right, the, 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 that time the temple was destroyed, God was ready to rebuild it. So he tells his man, Haggai, look, everybody's worried about rebuilding their houses. Is it time for you? You all live in your nice homes. You've rebuilt them. Everything's fine. Put the last crown molding on your houses and you moved in and, and my house is lying in waste. How did, how did Haggai know that? Because he was a prophet of the Lord. How was he a prophet of the Lord? Because he has a relationship with God. And God says, this is the man I'm going to speak to and tell him what's going on. Guess what? He knew what God's heart was and what God was doing, and what He was about to do. He was ahead of the curve, so to speak. I think we could all be ahead of the curve. All of us. And let's turn in our Bibles. A couple of Scriptures I want to read. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read 15-17. through 17. See then that ye... This is every believer. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You think this applies to us or this was just for believers 2,000 years ago? This is totally, completely for us as every bit as much as it was for them. 
because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is so that we can live rightly ourselves and also understand, just like Esther, He put us here for such a time as this. What is He doing? What is He about to do? What does He want to do? It's all for His glory. How is He wanting to to move? What is God desiring to do? I don't believe all hope is lost. I don't believe it's all lost for America. If it was, I think we'd already be out of here. What's the point of us still being here? I do think God's still wanting to do things. I understand that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But we're still here as believers today. We still serve the same God as Elijah and Elisha and Haggai the prophet and and, uh, Paul who's writing that to the Ephesians. And he wants to do this. Circumspectly. When it says, see that you walk circumspectly, it means perfectly or uprightly, okay, or diligently. It has both to do with our conduct, walking in a godly fashion, but it also has to do with our watchfulness. They were watching to see. You know the Bible says watch and pray? And I think a lot of times we pray and we're not looking to see what God's doing. We got our head down in the sand and I got my prayer list of a hundred things and I'll go through these every single day and I don't even see if God's answering them. Or He's stirring something over here. I'm praying for my neighbor to get saved, and but I haven't ever gone to witness to him. And somewhere along the line, maybe God's saying, this weekend I want you to go witness to your neighbor. But all I'm doing is praying and praying. I'm not listening. I'm not watching and praying and seeing what's going on. We need to uh, be circumspect, knowing what the will, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Amen? We need to know the Lord. And we need to know what His will is. And it's going to come through intimate fellowship it's going to come through understanding His Word. We think, well, how does so-and-so know God so much better than so-and-so? And they're both believers. I can't say it totally, but I can say probably one knows the Word of God a lot better. Or spends more time in the Word of God studying it and, and having, allowing the Lord through the Bible to speak to Him prayerfully in the Scriptures and so forth. And God, And then we can rightly pray for big things and mighty things and miracles that God's wanting to do. Um, we can't do that. We can't ask God for big things if we don't even know what His will is. We're certainly not going to believe Him for big miracles in our life, in our church, in our nation, in our day, if we don't even know what He's wanting to do. You know, some things that we all do know, He's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. I know that. So I know also know that you and I are given the ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ and so forth. So we need to be bent towards that, like I say. I need to be on go, like ready, set, go to, to witness to people. But I need to be thinking about that. What if we just walk around all the time praying for the Lord save every lost person? Well, that's a wonderful prayer. But am I watching and praying? Am I active in knowing what God's heart? I know He doesn't want people to go to hell. People die and go to hell every day. But what does He want to do through my life? Elijah knew it's not going to rain for three and a half years because God's bringing a judgment. Because He said in some of the earlier, like in Solomon's day, you know, and so forth, if the, if the heavens shut up because we've sinned and, and it doesn't rain, if we turn to You, God, send the rain. Okay, turn to this temple and so forth. And so He knew God's heart on the matter. If you and I, and I'm going to bring this so close, if you and I would press in to know Jesus more and to grow in, in the Lord more, then we would surely have His heart. And surely having His heart on every circumstance, including our own lives, then we would have a lot more confidence and boldness to ask Him for, for big things. Because I know His heart. I know it's what He wants to do. Then I'm going to have a lot more boldness to pray boldness to speak, to preach, to minister. And I'm going to have a lot more confidence of the Lord being with me in that thing. Even if I hadn't seen the prayer answered yet, I know He's going to. Because I know His heart. I know this is what He wants. And I'm praying according to His will. Amen? God is looking, is wanting to show Himself mighty through our lives. This is the people He's looking for, so to speak. And, and to show His might to a world that doesn't know Him and even show His might to the church. It might be scared or in, in, a, in a point of weakness in their faith. 
And I think about those in Hebrews 11. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought right... Listen to what they did. We don't even know their names. This is after Joshua and Abraham and all those that are listed, Enoch and Noah. And then it gets to these nameless saints in Hebrews 11. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fires. And it goes on to say all the things that they did. And they understood what the will of the Lord was. They understood that this will, this world wasn't their home. And they had another home. And they had another God than this world had. Elijah knew God's heart. He knew that he had a covenant with Israel. He knew he wasn't done with Israel. He was fulfilling his work to reprimand them, to, to punish them sore, so to speak, so they would turn back to him. He knew God's heart was really for Israel. It was against their sin and rebellion. But he had not utterly cast them off. He desired to bring them to repentance. We're just going to read uh, one more passage. Turn to 2 Kings 18. We're talking about... I'm sorry, 1 Kings 18. We're talking about Elijah. We know this story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is when he makes the challenge to the prophets of Baal in his day. This is why it didn't rain. This is what it was all about. The nation was in idolatry and turned far from God. God was trying to get their attention. He wasn't going to get their attention through blessing them. They would think that Baal had done it for them. Okay? He was stopping the rain and there's a famine in the land. And now he makes this challenge against the 800 prophets of Baal and comes before him. And let's read verses 36 through 38. Now, the, the prophets of Baal, they tried to call down fire and couldn't do it to consume the sacrifice because Baal's not a real God. Now, Elijah does it. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He doesn't make an address to the people. He's talking to God. He stood before the Lord. Remember continually. I stand before God. There was a lot of people there, and he did talk to the people a little bit earlier. Here he's talking to the Lord. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all this, these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then fire, the fire of the Lord fell and consume the burnt sacrifice. I'm going to just stop right there. It's what I wanted us to see. He, he, this was nothing for Elijah. In other words, he walked with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He stood in His presence. He heard Him. He was with God all the time. He was out of sync with everybody else around Him. Kind of like John the Baptist, right? And that's the spirit of Elijah who came in. John the Baptist was an oddball even in his day. Camel's hair, lived out in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey and, and uh, living off the land. But who was he with the whole time out there? John the Baptist, with the Lord. He was getting ready to tell a nation and a world, you know, prepare to meet the Lord. He, he had got out of somebody shut up with him like that, that he could just get away from the world and get out there and be his man and be his prophet. And it said, Bible says, of those born among women, there wasn't a greater than John the Baptist. He came in the spirit of Elijah, the Bible says. So Elijah says, Lord, there's a bunch of people there. Most of them want to kill him. Okay? And he's there and he's talking to the Lord. Let these people know that you're God. Let these people know that everything I'm doing right now is because you told me to do it prior to this. Okay? Let everybody know. And let people know that you're turning their hearts back to them. This is an act of love and commitment on the Lord's part to bring you back to Himself. And He knew that. How did He know that? Because He walked with the Lord. This is very simple. But He could, that's a mighty thing. We said, wow, then fire fell from heaven and consumed the altar, burned up all the water that was around it, and even licked up the dust that was around it. All the people fell and said, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Okay? All right, now kill all those 850 prophets of Baal. And they killed them all. And it was, it was a mighty 
though short-lived probably, it was a true revival. And then God sends the rain and so forth. Those are amazing things that happen. But Elijah was a man of like passions like we are. And he knew the Lord though. He was intimate with the Lord and walked closely with the Lord. And I think if God could get us shut out from the world, not that you never leave your house, okay? Shut out from the world and worldly entanglements and entrapments and get shut in with God and live that way, not because you're in a crisis mode, but as a pattern of life. We do have crisis as well. But as a pattern of life to live and stand before God. David said, I set the Lord always before me, Psalm 16, right? He's at my right hand, I won't be moved. And his presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How did he know that? Because he set the Lord always before him. That's how he knew that. It wasn't a sermon to him. It wasn't a song to him. He wrote the song because it was real to him. We abide in his presence. We set the Lord. You're going to work. You're going to school. You're going to a church. You're going to the mall. You're going whatever you're going to do. You're getting ready to be around a bunch of lost people. You're getting ready to be around a lot of saved people. Whatever you're doing, setting the Lord always before you, standing in His presence. You're going to hear from God because it's a relationship. And He's going to let it be known to His prophet. You're going to be one of His prophets, so to speak. That God's going to speak to. He calls us friends because He said, everything I've heard of my Father I've made known to you. He wants us to walk in that. And he says, the Lord says, Jeremiah, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me or search for me with all of your heart. God's looking for people that will identify themselves with him, set themselves apart to be with him, and then simply believe him to be the God that he says he is. Amen? Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years and six months, and it didn't rain. That's an amazing thing. I know I keep saying it, but... Um, there's a lot of other believers in this day. God wants us to be, I think we can be a, a church filled of people like that. It may not be to show up to heavens from right. It might be to bring revival to the city. It might be to bring your family to the Lord. It might be uh, to, to, to have some national platform to preach the gospel to turn our nation back to Him in this hour. Somebody in this room Who's to say it couldn't be? We're not even going to know if we're not shut in with God and spending that intimate time. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying we're not going to know what His will is. We're not going to have any confidence to believe Him for big things if, if we don't hear His heart and know His word. And I'm going to close with what I opened with from, from 2 Kings when it was we started with Elisha and King Joash and the arrows. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Indeed, you can come in the arrow of the deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. So he's telling them, telling the king beforehand what this is. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And he wanted that king to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, believe God for that. And he's already been told by the man of God, this represents the Lord's deliverance. So let's do it. You know what I mean? Let's trust him for that. And he, he hit a couple of times and stopped. The Lord wants us to trust him. There is no limit to what God can do. Now, he'll never act contrary to his nature. He'll never move or act outside of the teaching of his word from Genesis to Revelation. But that doesn't mean he can't do something new that we haven't seen before through our lives. God does things for his people, but he also does things through his people. And I think it's a great experience to be used by the Lord. You know what I mean? Instead of reading about some great soul winner or George Mueller in the orphanage over in London and say, that's just amazing. What would it have been like to be George Mueller? And to, for God to use you in that way, or Hudson Taylor, or someone like this, to, for God to work through your life like that, or Esther, or Elijah, or Elisha. And I'm just simply saying, let's be that people. I'm not telling you what to do, or what God's plan is for your life. I'm saying it to myself. I'm sitting under this sermon as well, that we would... If it's the error of the Lord's deliverance, so to speak, and he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power of God, then let's believe Him for those things. And I need to know what those things are. In order to do that, I need to know God. I need to walk with God. I need to be with God. I need to have that intimate fellowship with the Lord. Would you all stand with me this morning? I pray this is not a discouraging sermon. I pray it's encouraging to you because I believe it's available to all of us. All that we can hope to be as believers would be, to me, everything God wants me to be. I don't want to come short of anything He wanted me to be. Paul said that he had fought the fight and finished his course. I don't think Paul had regrets at the end of his life and said, God wanted me to do this, this, and this, and I didn't believe in for it or I failed. I think that all of us, when we finish our course, let's get with God, let's be shutting with God, not just today in the altar, we can initiate something here today, but to, to, to trust God, to hear His voice in this hour, to know what He wants to do, to believe Him for those things, and for big things, and for mighty things, if He's longing to show Himself mighty on behalf of those his heart is perfect towards him. And he is. Right now today, eyes of the Lord are running through the earth. And he wants to show himself mighty. And we were just like, okay, God, do it. Well, he wants to do it. He wants you to get with him and find out what he wants to do through your, what you, he, you, he wants to do through this earth so we'll know what it is. Amen? And through my life. So, Father, we just come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. And I don't, understand everything perfectly, but I understand the man of God was wroth with the king when he stopped hitting the arrows after two or three times. Especially when he knew that those arrows represented, represented their deliverance from their enemy. God, we want to smite those arrows until we're delivered. We want to believe you for miracles and big things. We want to uh, to be like Elijah and stand in your presence continually. We want to be those people that know God, that are shut in with God. Not that we're hermits, God, but that we're shut in with God. And we shut out the, the cares and the clamor of the world and the worldliness around us that, that, that's shouting for our attention, God. Help us to be that people. Corporately, in our prayer meetings, in our service, but but individually, privately, day by day. I'm not even saying just to have a prayer time. I'm saying to have a time shut in with God where we hear your voice, God, where we watch and pray. And then, God, when you, when you speak to us, give us ears to hear and give us hearts to believe you. Like Joshua and Caleb believed that, Lord, you could give them the victory over the giants of, the, of Canaan. They believed you could dispossess the, uh, the people of that land and let them inhabit it. God, we want to believe you like that. Would you strengthen our faith? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Jesus, just take some time to pray and meet with the Lord.